Hi everyone, my name is Angela and this is Mary. We're going to read scripture for you today. I'm going to start in Chinese. 约翰一书一章七到九节我们若在光明中行如同神在光明中就彼此相交他儿子耶稣的血也洗尽我们一切的罪我们若说自己无罪便是自欺真理不在我们心里了我们若认自己的罪神是信实的是公义的必要赦免我们的罪洗净我们一切的不义 his son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all our unrighteousness. This is the word of the Lord for us, and thanks be to God. Hello, hello. You guys can be seated. This weekend has been a lot of fun because I got to spend Friday night with your youth doing a pre-early Halloween costume party. And it got a little gross because we had these boxes with mystery items in them, some slimy, some scary. And you couldn't see what they were. You had to stick your hand in and feel, guess it as to what they were. So everybody survived, but you guys should ask your youth about what some of them were. I'm not going to say it here. It might gross you out. It was a lot of fun. I have a joke for you guys, maybe more of a story. There was a businessman eating his dinner on the edge of a dock, and he saw a little fishing boat pull up, and a fisherman takes out his catch for the day for a yellowfin tuna fish. And the uh, businessman says, what, is, what are you going to do with that? He's like, I'm going to take it home and feed my family. He says, you should go out and catch more. The, the sun's not even set yet. He's like, I don't want to spend my time doing that. Businessman says, well, what do you do with your time? He's like, well, I live in this small coastal village, and I have a little fishing boat. I sleep late. I fish a little. I go for long walks with my wife. I play with my kids, and I hang out with my friends. The businessman laughs. He's like, listen, I could really help you. I'm a Harvard MBA, and uh, I could give you some pointers. You should spend all your time in the boat. And with the money from that, you could sell the boat, buy a bigger boat. With the money from that, you could buy several boats, have your whole fishing fleet, start making money hand over fist. The fisherman smiles, and he's like, wow, well, what would I do after that? He's like, well, after that, you're going to cut out the middleman, you start selling directly to the consumer. And uh, the fisherman smiles, and, he's, and he pauses a second, and he scratches his head, and he's like, well, how long is that going to take? The businessman says, about 15 to 20 years. He's like, okay, well, what about after that? He's like, well, after that, you'd have to move to L.A. or New York. You'd have your own processing plant where you're selling fish. You'd be making millions. He's like, okay, what about after that? He's like, well, after that, you'd make your big move. You'd sell everything, and you'd make millions, and then you could retire. He's like, well, then what would I do? What, what would I do then? The guy's like, well, then you could move to a small coastal fishing village, buy a small fishing boat. <laughs> you could sleep late, go for long walks with your wife, play with your kids, and spend time with your friends. And the guy says, but I'm already doing that. 
Uh, today we're going to be continuing our series on Galatians, looking at chapter 3, where Paul gets really passionate with the churches he's writing to. But first, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you. We thank you that we all woke up this Sunday morning breathing and alive. And I pray you just help us to quiet our hearts, quiet our minds, and just focus on you for a little bit. Be with us here today. Amen. Before we even read this, we have to understand how serious the situation is. Why is Paul writing to them? He's writing to these churches in Galatia, churches he helped start, by the way. He's writing to them because of this heresy that is being spread and taught there. They're starting to believe that you have to become a Jew and fulfill the Mosaic law before you can ever become a Christian. And that's the opposite of what Paul has taught them, that you're justified by faith. And it's so serious, you guys, that this is the only epistle Paul writes where there's no encouragement or recommendation or commendation to the churches in this letter in Galatians. So it's that serious. So let's read verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, we're going to start off with this first verse. I've broken it up into five questions that we pull from the text. They're either directly stated or implied. And this first verse has the first question. Who has bewitched you? But Paul starts off almost rude, insulting, foolish. And he's communicating his shock, not at their lack of intelligence, but at their lack of obedience. And then he says, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? And that's our, that's our first question. And he's basically saying... He's basically saying to them, what sorcerer or what wizard has cast a spell on your eyes that would cause you to turn away from what you've seen, which is Christ crucified before you? And he asked this question rhetorically, but maybe there's a little bit of genuine concern in the question. Because let's, let's rephrase it. Let's say it this way. What has drawn you away from Jesus? Who has drawn you away from Jesus. I want you guys to think about that. Ask yourselves that. And you might find some answers in your head, and you might look around and point at this thing or that thing, say, this has distracted me. This has pulled me away. But if you're honest, probably the biggest distraction of all in your, own, in your life is yourself. And if we're honest, that's scary. And it's even more scary when we realize what we're turning away from. It's crazy when we realize what we're turning away from. McLaren says in his commentary, he also says it's crazy. I want to read this to you guys. Mysterious it is, for why should men cast away diamonds for paste? Mysterious it is, for we do not usually drop the substance to get the shadow. Mysterious it is, for man doesn't ordinarily empty his pockets of gold to fill them with gravel. Mysterious it is, for a thirsty man will not usually turn away from the full bubbling life-filled brook, fountain of life, to see if he can find any drops still remaining green with scum, stagnant and odorous at the bottom of some broken cistern. Those are all mysterious. But all of those follies are sanity as compared with the folly of which we are guilty. Times without number, when having known the sweetness of Jesus Christ, we turn away to the fascinations of the world. Because, you guys, we are easily drawn away. It's like hiking a mountain. Facing towards God is like seeing the top of the mountain, right? You hike up there, 
You might spend a couple minutes on the top, maybe even a few hours. Some people even like to camp up there. But eventually, most people leave. They go back to what they were doing. They lose sight of the mountaintop. I think I have a picture of a mountain here. Oh, darn it. <laughs> Guys, I want you to picture a mountain. <laughs> and uh, they lose sight of the mountaintop. The clouds cover it up, and they go about their lives. So my question for you guys is a serious one. How many of you here today used to spend more time with Jesus, facing Jesus in the earlier stages of your relationship, but now you've lost sight of him? Ask yourself that. Now have you lost sight of him? That's our question. Who has bewitched you? Who has drawn you away? And what can you do this week to turn your gaze back towards Jesus? Next we read verses 2 through 6. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask you, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Paul here again, he calls them foolish. And this time he asks a couple questions. He says... Have you experienced so much in vain? That's the second question he asks. The first question he asks is, how did you come by the Spirit? And he asks this one rhetorically. He knows the answer, but he wants to drive home a point. I know you didn't come by the Spirit through works or the law. You came by it through faith. You have to understand that. And so our second question is the second question he asks. Have you experienced so much in vain? And what he's doing is he's asking the Galatians to think about their past. Remember everything they've been through. The trials. The blessings. Because right now, just by trying to justify themselves by the law, they're risking throwing away the benefits of everything they've been through. Because the things you've been through, the good, the bad, pain, pleasure, trials, blessings, they all impact you. They, they affect you, right? And they can help you grow, become wiser and stronger, help you change. But Paul's wondering if the past has had absolutely no effect on the Galatians at all because of what they're about to do right now. And it's blowing him away. If they started this with the Spirit, why do they think they can finish it on their own? They can't. And McLaren says, some of us may have had great sorrows, and the tears may be scarcely dry upon our cheeks. And some of us may have had great gladness, and our hearts may still be throbbing with a thrill. Some of us have had great successes and some heavy losses. But the question for us is not to ask of the quality of our past experiences, but as to their effect on us. He says, too often we've been unfaithful recipients of God's mercies and disciplines. And though we experience, uh, experience the disciplines of life, we remain undisciplined. This reminded me of this story about a donkey and a farmer. The farmer went out into his field one day. And uh, he couldn't find his donkey. Says, will my picture of the well work? Let's see if it works. There we go, okay. And he heard the donkey braying and crying, and he heard the noise coming from the well. So he walks over to the well, and he looks down in there, and the donkey's stuck at the bottom of the well. It can't get out. Their ropes are too thin. They snap each time to try to pull it out. When they, if they try to climb down in there, they'll get stuck. 
So they decide to just let the donkey die. And the donkey's screaming and braying so piteously. After a couple hours, they can't take it anymore. And the farmer decides, I'm going to put the donkey out of its misery. I'm going to kill it. And the only way to do that is to fill in the well and bury it alive. So he gets his family out there, and they're shoveling shovelfuls of dirt into the well. And the donkey realizes what they're doing. And the donkey starts screaming and braying more loudly. And after a couple minutes, it stops. And they keep scooping dirt in. After a couple more minutes, the farmer is curious now why it stopped. And he looks in, and he sees something amazing. The donkey has realized that every shovel full of dirt that lands on its back, it can shake off. The dirt lands at its feet. It can take a step up and get a little higher. So it continues to do that. Every shovel full of dirt that lands in, it shakes it off, and it steps up higher. And the family continues shoveling and watching. And to their amazement, finally, the donkey steps out safe. Life will bury you if you let it. But if you can remember to look back on your past and learn from the things that have happened to you, the same things that would bury you will help build you up and help you grow, help you change. Have you experienced so much in vain? So don't think about how good or bad your past has been. You guys, think about what is, it, what is its effect on you today. Now let's go to the next section. This is the big one, verses 7 through 18. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it's written, curses everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. So that by faith, we might receive this promise of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture doesn't say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person, Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God in his grace, who gave it to Abraham through a promise. Oh, sorry, by God, and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. So here's what Paul says. Understand this, you are justified by faith. And this question is implied, but it still works. Do you understand that you're justified by faith? And this is where Paul completely goes off on the Galatians. And he basically gives them a whole theological history lesson right here. And it's more surprising when you realize we're in chapter 3. In chapter 2, he just told them all of this already. It's like he's hammering down a nail that won't go in deep enough, and he just keeps pounding away. But I'm thankful that he does, because it reminds us how important this is. But before we go any further, I think we need an example, like a metaphor, for justified by faith. I think too often we can hear a term like that and our brains categorize it as Christianese or Christian jargon, even if you studied it. 
even if you know what it means. So let's try this. I think I have a picture here. A couple weeks ago, I showed my family a YouTube video about flat earthers. And we were cracking up and laughing at this video because it was so absurd that anybody would believe this. For those of you who don't know, flat earthers is a group of people mainly online in chat rooms, but they also have conventions. And these people believe that the earth is flat. This is 2018. I'm talking like not a sphere. Like they believe the earth is a disk. And they'll admit, okay, the sun, the moon, the other planets, those are spheres, but not earth. So like I said, we were laughing and howling because this is just hilarious to us that anybody could believe this. Now I, I thought about it and I realized, you know, if my son told me he believed this, I might have a different reaction. Or if a church that I helped plant started believing this, I might have a reaction more similar to Paul's. I might be asking the question, do you understand that the earth is a sphere? And Paul gives several really good points here to help answer any questions, right, or any thoughts the, the Galatians might have. Because they were worried that this idea of justification by faith was new and that it would jeopardize the Old Testament covenant. And Paul goes right out and he says, no, it's not new. Just like the flat earth theory, people might think, oh, this is a brand new idea. It's not. Copernicus figured that out 1,500 years ago. And in the same way, Paul is telling them, this is not new. This is actually old. And he quotes the Old Testament. He's quoting Habakkuk 2.4 in verse 11. He says, the righteous will live by faith. Galatians, do you see? That's the Old Testament that says that. And then he goes on and he quotes in verse, back in verse 6, he quotes Genesis 15, 6. He says, Abraham believed in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He says, Galatians, listen. Abraham was also justified by faith. This is not a new thing at all. And then he goes on in verse 10, and he clarifies even more. And he's still quoting the Old Testament here, quoting Deuteronomy 27, 26. Okay? And he says, cursed is everyone who doesn't follow everything written in the book of the law. So he wants to make it so clear. You guys, we're not justified by the law. Abraham wasn't justified by the law. It's not how it works. And he reassures them the Old Testament covenant is not broken by this. It's almost like reassuring somebody, listen, if you believe that the earth is a sphere, it doesn't mean if you walk to the bottom you're going to fall off. Okay? It actually upholds everything you know and everything you've seen. So do you understand that you are justified by faith in Christ alone, not by works or the law? The next section is verses 19 through 25. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised being given through faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. 
So here, it's like Paul pauses his history lesson for a pop quiz. Hey, why do we have the law? And that's our fourth question. Why do we have the law? And Paul gives three really simple answers here. The first he says in verse 19, right? He says, we have the law because of sin. It's to convict us of our sinfulness and help restrain us from doing more sin. And he paints this picture of sin as a prison that we're trapped inside of. And the second reason he gives in verse 22, he says the law is also here to convince you of your need for a savior. As we try and fail and try and fail to restrain ourselves from sin, we see that the only person who can break us out of this jail of sin is Jesus Christ. And here it's really important because he ties it back in with what he said earlier in verse 17, where he said the Old Testament covenant is not broken. He says the New Testament covenant does not break that. It doesn't annul it. It doesn't supersede it or take the place of it. Actually, Christ fulfills the Old Testament covenant because he satisfies everything written in the book of the law. And then through Christ, because of the New Testament covenant, we can receive the promise. So he wants to make it as clear as possible. It doesn't break it. It actually upholds it. And then the third reason he also gives in verse 22, he says both the law and the scripture, both of them actually act as guides, as guardians for us. They lead us to Jesus Christ. Very similar to a billboard. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a Chick-fil-A billboard. Uh, but Chick-fil-A is one of a kind. It's a fast food restaurant in America that serves the best chicken sandwiches ever. Oh, I'm so excited. I get to go there next month. I'm going to eat one. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> but these bill I will. But these billboards actually function very much the same way as the law. First, they convict you of the fact that the food that you cook is probably not that great. You're actually not a great cook. And then they convince you or remind you of the fact that you're actually really hungry right now. And then they lead you to a place where you can be fed. They tell you where you can go to get food. Why do we have the law? To convict us of our sinfulness, convince us of our need for, and lead us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now the final section, verses 26 through 29. Let's read. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all in one. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So again, it's not a direct question, but he's so emphatic. He clearly states, he says, listen, you're all children of God through faith. So if you belong to Christ, then you're heirs in Christ. So our question is this, you guys. Do you belong in Christ? And Paul, again, wants to make it as clear as he can. No, it's not the law. You're not justified by that. No, it's not works. You're not justified by that. You're justified by faith. And he, he concludes it with this. He concludes it in verse 29 by saying, if you do belong in Christ, then you are heirs. And that might be awesome. That may, might be great. Maybe you've heard everything I've said, and you're like, okay, I'm justified by faith. Okay, I'm an heir in Christ. But you realize that if you don't know what you're an heir to, then this doesn't really matter to you. So I want us to read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, and I want you to listen to our inheritance. 
Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You guys, if you are an heir in Christ, if you do belong in Christ, you don't have to earn anything because you already have the promise. I had a college class where the professor gave us this final exam. I think, And... Uh, it was sealed in two envelopes, and you had to take it home to your room to do it. It was very unusual. Envelope one, envelope two. And he said, you guys have to use integrity when you take this exam. I'm trusting you. You must complete envelope number one before you complete envelope number two. So I got home, sit down at my desk, open up the first envelope. It says, write a two-page essay on a topic of your choice that answers these questions. Now, being the person that I am, before I even wrote one word on that paper, I immediately opened up the second envelope because I had to know what was in there. <laughs> second envelope said, now that you have completed your final exam, give yourself the grade you deserve. <laughs> so the next morning, I go back to class with the essay and the grade, and we're handing them into the professor, and he's asking us all these questions. Did you like it? Did you hate it? Did it make you feel stressed? Was it kind of funny to you? He wanted to know what we thought of it. But the, the question that stuck with me the most was, did you follow the instructions? Because my answer to that was very important. If my answer was no, if my answer was no, I was going to have to plead and beg and explain oh, I didn't understand, or, but somehow I still deserve this grade when I don't. But if my answer is yes, I had nothing to worry about. Do you belong in Christ? If your answer is yes, you have nothing to worry about. So to summarize, who has bewitched you? Who has turned your face away? And what can you do this week to help turn your gaze back towards Jesus? That's the first one. The second one is, have you experienced so much in vain? Don't try to figure out if your past was good or bad. Try to understand its effect on you today. And you guys, do you understand that you're justified by faith in Christ alone and not by works or the law? And the fourth one is, why do we have the law? To convict us of our sinfulness, to convince us of our need for, and lead us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And do you belong in Jesus Christ? That first question is really a difficult one. Who has bewitched you? Who has drawn you away? What or who? And McLaren has a response to it, and I've rewritten it in simpler words, and I want to finish with that. If we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we don't have to be afraid of or dread the question, 
who has drawn you away. But instead, we can challenge the distractions of this world with the triumphant question, who shall ever separate us from the love of Jesus? Let's pray. Darling Father, we thank you so much for being here with us today and giving us your word, your son, and your love. I pray you, help, you would help us look inward and ask ourselves these questions and wrestle with these answers with you. I pray that everybody here would glorify you this week with everything that they say, everything that they do, and everything that they think. In Jesus' name, amen.